All right. So we are on with Ryan. Ryan is the chief marketing officer and founding partner of startups.com. Ryan, thanks for being here. Hey, man. Super happy to be here. Excited for the combo. Yes, sir. So for uh, for those who uh, you know don't know uh, who you are, or for those that you know are just tuning in, uh, can you give us a brief introduction? You know, who's Ryan? And, uh, what do you sure. do? Yeah. So as you said, uh, chief marketing officer, one of the founding partners at startups.com, lifelong entrepreneur. Uh, I've tried to cure myself several times and it just won't take. Uh, so I've decided just to stick it out in the entrepreneurial world. Doing uh, startups.com for about 11 years now. Uh, before that, several uh, several ventures, a couple of them funded, uh, two exits. So pretty, uh, pretty, pretty fun, uh, exciting, up and down roller coaster entrepreneurial career. I don't know if there's any other kind that seems to be par for the course. Um, outside of that, uh, father of three kids, uh, husband uh, to, to one, uh, and uh, we currently live in Antigua, Guatemala, and we've lived all over the place, uh, from uh, Taiwan to uh, the U.S. to Guatemala, France, Cyprus. Uh, my, my wife grew up in Iran, so we were a very multicultural family, and uh, we enjoy that. So that's why when I messaged you, you're like, Salam, right? <laughs> I was so surprised. I can't see a name like yours and not assume, but I did. I didn't just, I didn't just assume. I, uh, I saw that you had Farsi listed uh, in yes. your languages on LinkedIn. So I was like, he'll appreciate this. Oh, for sure. I did appreciate it. And Reza is a very common name in Iran, for sure. It is. So, it was actually so the Bushiri that, that was more of an indication for me. <laughs> yeah. so, so you're in Guatemala right now, you said, right? Yes. Yeah, yeah, we've been down okay, here about cool. three so years. What made you go there? Oh man, it's a beautiful place. Uh, we just we came here uh, kind of on accident. It was uh, we. I don't think I ever would have thought I'm going to go to Guatemala. I uh, was invited here. Uh, one of our younger staff, uh, who became a very good friend of mine, very very dear friend, invited us to come down for their wedding. He married a young woman who was of Guatemalan and El Salvadoran descent. She grew up in the U.S., but they used to visit the grandparents down here. We came down for this wedding. Uh, both my very young daughters were in uh, the wedding as flower girls. It was this beautiful experience in a ruined church in this ancient, you know, antiquated town of Antigua, nestled amongst all these volcanoes. And I'm not kidding, while they were saying their vows, the active volcano erupted. And I just thought, man, I wonder how much more he paid to make that part of the wedding. Um, but it was just a beautiful place, man. And we, we said, you know, we'd been in the U.S. for seven years at that point back in the u.s for seven years okay. and we were thinking like you know it's it's time we're ready to try something else again and so um at that point we said let's let's go back and and take stock of things and we spent a couple of years doing that uh but with the plan to come down here to spend six months to a year and since we've been down here we've met so many people who plan to be here for six months to a year uh, and most of them are like you know we've been here for 20 years we came for six months it happens so if you decide to visit be careful that's a sticky spot. Beautiful. I, I assume I haven't been to Guatemala, but I would assume life is a lot slower and uh, relaxed. Yeah. Yeah. The pace of life here is is really been uh, a huge, huge win for the family and, and for me too. As an entrepreneur, you know, one of the things that we struggle with is maintaining uh, and I gave up the idea of work-life balance a long time ago. I've, I've tried to do something that I instead called work-life blend, where I, I allow the two to go exist and, and, and melt into each other in meaningful and beneficial ways uh, to the extent possible. And that was far easier here. 
And I mm. found that the pace of life in the US and all of the transactional stuff that we do on a day to day basis was just not conducive to me running a business, growing a business, growing a family, uh, and having any kind of uh, personal time was just getting harder and harder. And I just was finding it to be too much work to do it. It was like an additional layer of work added on to try to balance those things. And so finally, we said, let's try this somewhere else. And you are not wrong, my friend. It is uh, it's a very peaceful, tranquil life down here. Yeah, I'm, I'm happy. I'm happy for you, man. There's so many people who fantasize about the idea of getting out of this fast paced kind of <laughs> wheel of death. You know, everyone is just running without necessarily stopping to think what they're really doing. So that's that's really good. I've, I've been a long time believer that life design is a necessary thing, right? We have to be deliberate about how we're spending our time and, and the time that we invest in that, the planning and thinking about what it is we're actually trying to accomplish allows us to set really specific goals and get those things done, right? If I hadn't decided I wanted time to work on myself, if I hadn't decided I wanted to carve out more time for the family and there were specific things I wanted to be able to do with the family, it never would have happened, right? We just sort of go with the flow, follow along uh, and do what the average of the people around us are doing and nothing necessarily wrong with that. I just found myself quite dissatisfied with that and said, look, I, I wanna be very deliberate in how I'm spending my time, where I'm spending it, who I'm spending it with. Uh, and then it became very easy, right? Once you're, you're clear on what the objectives are, like anything in, in life or entrepreneurship, once we know what it is we're trying to accomplish, the road to getting there is just way, way easier. For sure. And, and talking about that, were you always an entrepreneur in, in spirit <laughs> or was it like a time in your life where you were like an employee? No, since go, man, I, uh, I, was, that, I was that kid with the, the lemonade stand. Uh, but my lemonade stand was on wheels. I had a lemonade wagon. I had a little radio flyer wagon. We had moved to uh, one of the first houses built in a suburb of a tiny little town called Oak Ridge, Tennessee. And there was a lot of construction going on as the rest of the suburbs uh, built up around us. And so I would haul my little wagon up and down and sell to all the construction workers um, at age six, I guess I was. And this was Tennessee oh, wow. in the early 80s. So I guess it was safe to do that. Probably still is. Yeah, it's been uh, it's been a lifelong thing for me. I did do one foray into a pseudo corporate environment, but the the company that I went to work for, I ran technology for a market research firm, and they had grown through acquisition, and they would buy these other market research firms in the countries they wanted to exist in as a, as a global brand, and then they would hire the original founder back as the managing director. So I essentially worked for a market research company that was a club of entrepreneurs so even that wasn't a very corporate environment so yeah, yeah it was it was closer through to an through, man. interesting <laughs> yep. so i do want to get into you know startups.com obviously and you know what you guys do which is really interesting sure. but before that i did want to ask obviously you've been an entrepreneur like ever since you know you were a kid the, the kid with the lemonade stand now yep. for those who are currently not entrepreneurs and let's say they're in their 30s they're in their 40s but they fantasize about the idea of starting their own business uh, would you would you say it's a little too late and some of those skills need to be cultivated while you're younger or no. you know how do you how do you look at that 
No, I don't think there's there's not a right or a wrong time. It's like when people ask you, you know, what's the right time to have kids? There's no right or wrong time to have children. You're always going to be woefully unprepared for it. It will be an amazing experience that both uh, you know fills you up and drains you. <laughs> so, uh, no, I don't I don't think so, and I don't think that there is such a thing really as a as a born entrepreneur. People find their their path there for lots of different reasons. Um, you know, whether it's early exposure to it or just frustration with what you're doing or you decide there's some other thing that you really want to accomplish and you feel like entrepreneurship is, is the path to doing that. I don't think that there's a right or wrong time in any individual's life. What I will say is I think now is a fantastic time to become an entrepreneur. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we've, we've all moved to this remote uh, work environment. We haven't all moved. A lot of us have moved to a remote work environment giving us more freedom, more flexibility, more chances to to kind of choose how we spend our time, giving us a little more opportunity to flex the side hustles. Side hustles are a known thing, right? This is something that we're talking about. The mm-hmm. the the narrative around entrepreneurship is so much more accessible than it used to be. I mean, it's cool to be a founder now, right? I see people who like the, the second they have a business idea, they're like founder of this, right? When I started doing this, it wasn't cool to be a founder. Nobody was yes. like, oh, you're an entrepreneur. How neat. They were like, oh, you're unemployable. Like, well, only by choice, I yeah. convinced myself. <laughs> right? But uh, yeah, no, I don't, I don't think that there is, there's a right or wrong time. I think that uh, we need to go into it eyes wide open. We need to be mm-hmm. really, really open and honest with ourselves about what it is we're trying to accomplish through entrepreneurship. Um, some people tell me, look, I just want to make more money. I'm like, then get a job. It's a lot easier to make money with a job than it is through entrepreneurship. Now, there are some caveats to that, right? Like you can certainly make lots and lots of money as an entrepreneur. Maybe the ceiling is significantly higher for you as an entrepreneur, um, but the floor is also a lot lower, right? Yeah. Meaning that you also stand to make a lot less if things don't go well. And if you follow math and statistics, it tends not to, right? So not to dishearten, but it's something that we have to go into with, with eyes wide open. But again, I think now is a great time to be doing this because unlike decades ago when I started doing this, you have some level of ability to kind of ease into things. Mm-hmm. And you can certainly test the notion of what is it like to be an entrepreneur. Um, there's also far more information around the space now where people are telling their stories, podcasts like this, exposing people to what it's like. Um, and I think that makes it a, it's not de-risked, but I think it's easier to understand what some of those risks are and to kind of ease in, right? And, and like I said, you know, there's the side hustle is now a concept that, that many people are adhering to, and it's a way to soft enter into entrepreneurship. Uh, the internet, you know, cliche as it sounds, changed everything, but in particular for entrepreneurship, because we now have ways of reaching niche markets that we couldn't have before. So you may be interested in some tiny little corner of the world. Um, and want to do something, you can now find the other 800 people who care about that same thing that you do and make a business out of it, which I've, I've been really, really delighted to see that it's led to this real niche ability to take something that you really want to do, some dent you want to make in the universe, no matter how small it is, and actually make it viable, which I think is, is proven to be super cool for a lot of people. Yeah, and, and that's really important to think about because in a way, I mean, there are a lot less barriers to entry in the market obviously a lot more competition as well with that but at the same time it's almost like when someone starts and they think about oh i want to serve the entire world for example that's an unrealistic expectation but if you (laughs) find your niche if you find you know even 50 100 loyal customers that really love your product 
yep. or your service, then, you know, it's a very good start, right? It is. It is. And I think that, you know, one of the challenges that entrepreneurship mm -hmm. faced for, for a, a little while, right? It wasn't, it wasn't a, a long stretch, but all of a sudden we had set the bar insanely high and entrepreneurship and starting a startup meant we were going to, you know, have multi-billion dollar exits. And that was where we'd set the bar for what success looked like. Um, I remember talking to somebody four or five years ago at this point, uh, doing a consult over the phone and they were saying, you know, I just, I don't see this being more than $120,000 in income for me. Um, you know, you, you know, I just don't see it being bigger than that. And I said, well, what are you making now? It's like 85. It's like, how much do you like it? Oh, I hate it. Like, so $120,000 would be a win. He's like, yeah, but like, you know, shouldn't I be aiming for something that's going to make a million dollars or 2 million? Shouldn't I look for another idea? And I said, look, depends on what you want to do. Is your only objective to go make money or do you want to enjoy yourself while doing it? Do you want to have enough uh, emotional uh, stock in this thing to keep going when it gets really tough because it will, right? It's, there are very few things I can guarantee in entrepreneurship. It will be hard, right? That I can guarantee you. And so, you know, when, when we do something that we care about intrinsically, uh, sometimes the, the extrinsic factors, like how much money we'll make or notoriety that we'll develop around this or how many people we'll serve become far less important. And so in his case, he said, I don't want to do this because it's not going to make a million dollars. Ultimately, he ended up doing it and he made closer to 200,000 and he's super happy now and he's doing his thing um, in this funny little niche uh, market that he found. He's making significantly more money than he was. Um, and he just had to get honest with himself and say, like, look, actually, I didn't care about making a million or two million. I care about doing something that I want to do in a way that I want to do it without the confines of the corporate environment or somebody else telling me what to do. And all in all, it was, you know, it was a win, uh, but he was concerned that it wouldn't look like enough of a win to the rest of the people around him. I said, who cares, man? Like, they'll stop yeah, thinking yeah, about it the minute you stop telling them about that it. That fear definitely stops you from, you know, starting sometimes. And it's almost like you need to start in order to see what the result is going to look like. Otherwise, you can keep daydreaming about it a million different ways. Like what would happen if I do this, if I do that, you know, yeah. what would he say? What would she say? But that doesn't really matter at the end of the day, for sure. Doesn't no get out and let the market tell you what it thinks about it. You know, very 100%. rarely does they tell you you have an ugly baby happens sometimes and that's okay. You just change things around a little bit. Keep going. But yeah. It's, it's sad to me when, when people let things like that, stop them from pursuing the dream. Um, there are plenty of reasons not to do entrepreneurship. You don't have to look as hard as, as he was looking to find reasons not to do it. Uh, but the problem was in his case, when we did the calculus, all of the right reasons were there. This was something he was extremely excited to do. It was something that had been a long-term hobby of his that he just, every waking moment that he had outside of work, he was spending his time on this. I was like, that's a perfect reason to try to pursue this at another level if you want to, right? I've also seen people ruin their hobbies by trying to turn them into businesses. It's something yeah. that you really love doing. And then all of a sudden you commercialize it and it takes the love and the fun out of it. So you have to be careful there too and be honest with yourself about, you know, is this something I really like doing when there's zero pressure attached to it? Right. I love playing soccer. I love practicing jujitsu. I love fishing. I would not want to make a living from any one of those things. And I don't think anybody would pay me to do them either. <laughs> but hold that aside for a minute. Um, I would not want to put that level of pressure around those activities, the things I enjoy doing. So, uh, you know, a passion doesn't always equal a project. But in the cases where they do overlap meaningfully, it's, it's a great storm. And that was the situation that he found himself in. He was just worried that the moon wasn't big enough 
uh, to aim for. And so we, we talked through it and, and examined the, the ups and downs and what it would look like for him and where his life would improve uh, based on this. And at the end of the day, he decided to move forward with it. And six years and counting, I think he's pretty happy with that choice. That's beautiful, man. I, in the middle of everything that you said, soccer and jiu-jitsu caught my eye. So we're definitely going to dive into that as well. Sure. Uh, but before that, I do want to ask about startups.com and sure. um, yeah. you know, what, what it is that you guys do. Yeah. I mean, so it, it's most basic. We build stuff for founders, right? So mm-hmm. a bunch of founders ourselves uh, across, the, across the board. And, you know, I think this is one of those cases where we looked at the state of entrepreneurship and said, why don't we build that treehouse we always wanted when we were kids that we never had, right? In in the startup context, and mm-hmm. uh, let's try to make this a, a more obvious journey. Let's try to make this a, a a journey where you you don't feel isolated, where you don't feel unaware of the circumstances, where you don't feel like you lack resources or support. Uh, and let's build as many meaningful touch points within that journey as we can. Um, you know, going back into what now feels like almost ancient history, 12 years ago when we started this, uh, the, the Jobs Act in the U.S. was about to pass, which opened up some um, new opportunities and funding mm-hmm. around uh, equity crowdfunding. And so we, we launched with a company named Fundable. It still exists. Uh, we've done almost a billion dollars in total funding on that platform, uh, crowdfunding for equity. And uh, we knew at that moment, though, from from the very time we started that, we said, like, this is a flag that we're going to plant because it's a hot topic right now. Everybody's eyes are on crowdfunding for equity. They want to see how it's going to change the funding space. So let's build there. Uh, but knowing fully that we want to build both upstream to much earlier stage entrepreneurs and downstream for founders who are you know well past funding and just need to operate mm-hmm. great businesses. And so through uh, through our own efforts and through acquisition, uh, we have now built a, a portfolio of companies that helps you do anything from plan your business, acquire early customers, to have an entire support network uh, of other founders, uh, a separate support network of, of subject matter experts, uh, the funding platform, um, you know, an entire arm that, that does nothing but help founders get stuff done through virtual. And so, yeah, we just said, look, this is a really complicated process what can we do to make this easier? And so layering in services, education, support, uh, felt like what we wanted to do. And so we've, we've spent the last 12 years doing that and uh, plan to spend probably the next 15 to 20 continuing to build off into the future. And uh, I think that's what, one of the beautiful realizations we had about this business was that if somebody came and offered us the right price for it, you know, we're, we're still capitalists at the end of the day. Uh, we would probably say yes. On the other hand, we are not building to sell and we love what we're doing. And, and we've all sort of said, like, we don't mind. If we spend the next 20 years doing this, we'll be super happy. And so like for me now, the goal is to create that same sentiment and feeling in as many people as I can and just help as many founders as we can to do what we've been lucky enough to have a chance to do. Amazing. So this, this is much bigger than an accelerator, right? Yes. Yeah. I mean, so there, there are definitely components uh, of, of what would be included in an accelerator. Um, there are a few things that aren't. So like funding is there, uh, but unlike most accelerators where the funding is kind of part and parceled and you're going to hand over some equity to the accelerator, we don't do that. Right. So what we've tried to say is what are these things that founders need and some mm-hmm. of which exist in the world now and they have access to, but we don't like the way they have access to them. Right? We don't like the idea that, 
if you raise funding on a platform or you go through an accelerator that you have to give up a meaningful chunk of your company for what ends up being just a little bit of a lift, a little bit of a head start, right? That compounds over time. One of the, one of the conversations we have with people who are looking to raise funds or enter accelerators and they're like, well, it's only costing me 15% of my company and it's worth nothing right now. Okay, fair enough. But remind yourself that equity represents 100% of the future value of your company. Mm -hmm. Right. So if you believe it's going to work and it's going to be huge and you kind of have to, otherwise, why would you be doing this? Why yeah. would you be going through the fundraising process? Why would you be trying to scale your startup? If you believe that, then use that future value that you think it's going to be worth when you do this calculation today and tell me, would you have traded that amount of money for the support you got? And the answer is almost always no. And so we said, OK, how many of those types of situations can we break down and make more founder friendly? Right. So acceleration is part of it. Um, education's part of it. You know, the, the thing that we've spent the last little over a year working really, really hard on is our founders group product. Um, and it started with the notion that founders just need a, a tighter level of support from other founders and that some of us are lucky enough to have that and cultivate it. Uh, I've been lucky enough for the last 12 years to do nothing but build that network. I mean, it's literally been my job is to work with founders and it's, it's been an amazing Journey. Other founders' jobs are to build their businesses and, and don't really have anything to do with directly interacting with other founders, but they still need them in their lives. And so we said, how can we bring this to bear as more of a product? And so we, we built it with the notion that we would create these small, highly curated groups of founders and have them get together once a month um, and, and work together and support each other. Uh, and that's still very much the notion, but uh, it's changing uh, over time. And we've, we've layered in a bunch of other stuff like workshops uh, that we run uh, probably seven or eight of those a month. We have daily office hours with lots of subject matter experts, uh, and, and myself included, uh, which are incredibly fulfilling for me. Um, and uh, at least per the feedback forms, they've been very useful for the people showing up to them. Uh, and so, yeah, we're just trying to layer in again, like as many of these gaps that exist in, in a founder's resources uh in their in their you know the the tool set they have the 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 knowledge that they have um just find a way to fill as many of those gaps as we can and somebody once asked me like okay so you're trying to put startups on rails and i was like yeah not quite that brave i don't know that that's even really possible is like, at least we can move the lily pads a little closer together make some of these leaps of faith a little less scary and so far i think we're executing really well on it but like i said we're excited about the next 20 years and I think that's largely due to the fact that we feel like there's that much more work to be done. Um, and as an entrepreneur who has worked in businesses that I've loved, and I've also built businesses that I just did opportunistically, knowing that you have something ahead of you that you still really want to spend your time on and build is such a gift. So when you find yes. that, chase it. I mean, just chase it, hold on to it with whatever you've got, because there isn't really anything better. And right? I've experienced a lot of stuff in my life and just knowing that I'm as excited to get up and continue to chase as I am proud of what we've already built is such an incredible feeling. So, I mean, this, this was, this was really, really insightful. I have a bunch of questions, but before that, so what I'm sure. hearing is, you know, you're not only building a community, you're not only creating a large knowledge base, which is great. You're also collecting a lot of data regarding, you know, common challenges or patterns that you sure. see amongst a lot of different founders, right? And I'm really curious to know, let's say in these 12 years, what do you see as some of the common patterns or challenges when startups are trying to take off? Is it the teams? Is it 
the idea itself? Is it them having a problem, you know, getting funded financially? It's, it's all of those things and it's highly contextual and depends on the company itself, right? Like they're, they're all so different and, mm -hmm. and the needs of one company. So I think one of the big challenges was that everybody started to think that there was this consistent path that we had to follow and it was this venture funding path. Um, and that, you know, anything less than a unicorn, uh, wasn't, wasn't good enough that, per the story that I told earlier, uh, where this guy was going to double or triple his salary, but that wasn't enough for him, even though he was going to be doing something he loved all day long because of this other narrative. So I think that part of it was just sort of breaking down this, this narrative around what, what should a startup look like and understanding that it's going to be highly variable and very different depending on what your, your dynamics are. And that changes depending on the market that you're in, depending on uh, the, the type of business or product or service that you're offering, depending on who your, your co-founders are, if you have any, depending on who your team is, so many dynamics. Um, all of the problems that you listed off are, are core problems. And some companies will face all of them. Some of them face them all at the same time. Some of them face them sequentially. Um, there isn't really a, like, it's the one thing, right? Yeah. That the one thing that you have to figure out. It's, it's a whole collection of stuff. I always tell people, you know, the, the problems that we face in entrepreneurship are never, you know, mathematics, it's never arithmetic. It's, it's always calculus of some sort. Uh, it's, it's always fairly complicated to, to really be able to unwind and understand exactly what's stopping us at any given time. Um, but honestly, a lot of it's just getting out of our own way. Right. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's, it's the ability to uh, to kind of zoom in, zoom out as needed, and to be able to be myopic and just get things done when that's required, but then to be able to zoom out really far and say, hey, are we still going where we need to be going? Mm. Um, so I think the, the if there was a, a core challenge or, or a commonality, it's it lies somewhere in, in that, right? And it's uh, the ability to really understand clearly what you're trying to accomplish and why. Mm -hmm. And then being very clear about what's actually stopping you from getting there. You brought up funding, and so I'm going to ping on that for a second, because a lot of people come to us saying, I just need funding, and then this will all work. And that's just rarely the case, right? Uh, funding is a great accelerant. And if you know exactly where you're going, and accelerating that journey will just get you to where you want to be faster, fantastic. I just meet so few founders who are actually in that state everybody's on a real tight curve wondering what the heck is around the corner constantly mm. we're just it's always just like we just see that curve speeding towards us and there's just more and more of it coming uh so the idea that acceleration is going to fix everything or that cash somehow buys us anything other than acceleration is just often a fallacy and so a reset of expectations and spending enough time to truly understand what the hurdles that are really slowing us down or stopping us are and what the thing we actually need to get past that is. So for example, when somebody comes to me and tells me, you know, I just, I need to go raise funds. All I need is money. I said, you don't need any money, right? And they're like, well, what do you mean? I got to go hire this person, I gotta hire that. I got to buy this, I got to buy that. I said, okay, that's what you need, right? You need some team members. You need some SaaS tools. You need server space. You need these things that money buys you, but you don't actually need money, right? Money is just mm -hmm. the conduit to get that thing you want. And they always look at me like, why are you splitting hairs with me, Ryan? Like, why are you busting my chops over this? And it's because at the end of the day, there are other ways of getting those things sometimes, right? We can be clever in our negotiations. We can, we can find ways to, to trade for things. We can um, determine whether or not we really need to build that $200,000 uh, uh, product through development, or could we duct tape and bubble gum it until we figure out if there's product market fit, right? And so... I think that um, 
there are a lot of challenges. And, and again, like there's the common thread there is, is trying to be really clear on whether that's actually what's stopping you. And then just being resilient is, is sort of the, the key and chief driver around whether or not we, we surpass these hurdles and we get around these corners and we actually manage to get to that next level and get the next set of problems, right? <laughs> that's, 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 the, that's your reward for solving whatever your biggest issue is, is you get to meet your next biggest issue. Yeah, the next monster, the next problem. <laughs> so exactly I, I know I know earlier you said, you know, if you find something that you're passionate about, then you know, hold on to it and don't let it go, which which is really important. Now I see that as some sort of an ikigai, right? Or your calling or whatever it is that you really yeah. love doing. So how would you say, you know, people who don't necessarily know what it is they want to do in order to serve the people or the community around them, if they don't necessarily know how to do that, what would you recommend that they do? Is it more around experimenting and constantly doing different things until you stumble upon that? Or is it more like waiting and thinking about it and writing about it until you figure it out? Yeah, I, I think you have to be patient in that case. You have to be patient and you have to be curious. Um, if you don't already have something that's that's catching your attention that you want to be doing all the time, start with that because that's that should be the big question on your mind. Why don't I have something that I'm really interested in, right? Was it a lack of exposure? Is it a lack of energy? Is it a lack of confidence? Is it a lack of even feeling like I have the time or space to do anything with something like that if I had it, right? This could be as simple as, you know, some sort of a, a, a hobby uh, or, you know, something that you enjoy doing. Um, it could be something that you've always wanted to know more about. Doesn't really matter. But if it doesn't exist in your life, then then start with the question of why. Right? Why doesn't it already exist in my life? Right? Don't start just experimenting and poking around and saying, well, I'm just going to try everything until I find something I like. Likelihood is there's some barrier to that thing existing in your life in the first place. So figure out what that is, right? Uh, is it just you're, you're locking yourself away and you're not, you're not allowing yourself to be open to opportunities to explore new things? Um, are you tired? Are you unhealthy? Are you, you know, mentally, uh, you know, drawn? Are you, what is it, right? There's, there should be some underlying characteristic there that's keeping you from getting to that point, right? Or it may have just been lack of exposure. And if that's the case, then some, oop, there we went there with the camera. Here yep. comes the jump cut. Yep, no worries. I certainly do agree, though, that exposure is very important and remaining curious. That's that's something that's definitely uh, helpful. Now, I, I do also want to touch on this. You, you mentioned, you know, you, you want to do this for the next 10, 15 years. So future trends crypto, the NFT market, the metaverse, are you guys thinking about, you know, operating within that realm or serving uh, startups that are thinking about entering those realms? Yeah, we, and we already do. And so I, I think that the, the distinction there is that there's still going to be a ton of commonality amongst somebody that's doing that versus somebody who's starting a SaaS platform versus somebody who's starting a service-based company. So we're, we're trying to be there for whatever you want to do. Right. And so from our perspective, unless there are major shifts in how businesses get started in and, and there are. Right. And so we're constantly reacting to those things. Right. Fifteen years ago, 20 years ago, you couldn't do easy market validation through something like popping up a landing page, 
tapping into existing search traffic and paying to get the answers within a couple of days, right? You had to go through some protracted experience up to and including starting the actual business. So as these things come, so here's what I'll say. As trends emerge in how the businesses get started, we will have constant new challenges and we will work to to make that easier and to help entrepreneurs understand how they navigate that process. Um, But in terms of us needing to react specifically based on the types of businesses that are being started, far less so. It just just doesn't seem to be required at this point. Hmm. Okay, okay, interesting. Now, I'm just going to minimize startups.com and open up some other topic that you mentioned earlier. So soccer, sure. Brazilian jiu-jitsu. Yes. You, uh, you play a lot of soccer? I did, and then I got back to it. So it was another one of those fun things that happened when I came to Guatemala. I played competitively all up and through university, and then uh, I took a, about a 20-year hiatus. And I came down to Guatemala and, you know, I had played here and there, like I'd go and play a pickup game every, you know, once a year or something. It was just, it wasn't enough to keep me in shape or to keep my touch or anything. Right? But I uh, came down here and, uh, you know, Central South America, all of Latin America really uh, is, uh, is very, very football focused, the, the football you play with your feet uh, that we call soccer in the U.S., and so it, it reignited the interest for it. And I had done some other things. So I had, I had coached for a number of years um, up to the high school level. And, and so I was still involved in the game, but I hadn't played competitively in, in a long time. And got back in, just got my feet wet with playing with uh, kind of pickup on small-sided games. Uh, and got my touch back and started to feel pretty good about the game and got invited to come try out for a team in the second division here, uh, second pro uh, league here, and uh, went tried out, got invited to play, um, and at the ripe age of, of 40, got my, my first uh, pro player card, which was a pretty amazing experience right now. Look, it's second division. Uh, it's Guatemala, and it is what it is. Uh, but it was still like an amazing milestone for me. And just to be able to come back and do something that I really loved, right? To my point before, like if you have something that you're really passionate about and you have an opportunity to continue to chase it, hold on, right? <laughs> so, I was the epitome of this, right? I'm, I, am, I am the senior on the field often uh, by, by a full two magnitudes, right? I'm often twice the age of a lot of the other players in the field. Um, and so I have to make up for it with wiles and swearing and, uh, and, and <laughs> dirty tricks, right. To keep up with the, uh, the younger, faster, stronger players. Dude, you uh, definitely don't look amazing. 40 for the record. Um, oh, thanks. 43. I'm 43 now. Yeah. 40, you definitely don't look it. So that's, that's amazing. Maybe in another podcast, we'll talk about your, uh, skincare routines and all that yeah oh man no there isn't one and, and honestly like i i yeah so maybe my face is still in great shape but i have psoriasis so it's something that's plagued me for years so yeah skincare is uh is out the window at this point i'm just trying to keep myself together <laughs> Dude, you you look like you look like a central midfielder or a striker is that your position center mid yep yeah and and it's been interesting because down here i i was almost always an attacking mid uh in in the u.s and down here um <clears throat> I pass for tall. I'm about six feet, which doesn't make me tall uh, in the U.S., but down here that makes me tall. Mm-hmm. And so depending on the on the other team's lineup down here, if they have a fairly tall front line, um, I'll end up playing more of a contention position or a, a defensive mid. Uh, and if not, I will uh, I'll play more of an attacking mid. But in our last season, which was interrupted uh, by COVID, uh, so we didn't get to finish, and we're hoping to go back next month. So I got my fingers and my toes crossed, and my my boots laced up. I'm ready to go. 
uh, that we'll get back to it. But in the last season that we did get to play eight games in, I had scored more goals from uh, the contention position, the defensive mid, than I scored from attacking mid. Mm. Uh, I think it was overlapping surprise, right? You know, interesting. sneak interesting. out of the backfield and they're like, where'd that guy come from? Goal. <laughs> you, you, you mentioned, you mentioned jujitsu as well, which is really interesting to me because I yeah. love soccer. That's like been my, I'm from Iran, right? So that's basically our yep. sport ever since we're yes. like kids. We, we play on the street. You get that and, or wrestling, right? And then it's, and then it's, and then it's engineering or medicine, right? Those are your four choices <laughs> <Yeah>. in life. <laughs> exactly. Other than those four, you're just a failure, yep. just utter yep. failure. Uh, I'm, I'm a, I'm a blue belt in jujitsu and I've been training oh, for like four or five years. And nice. I just stumbled upon it like randomly, which was such a nice kind of surprise and a very nice gift. And ever since then, it's been like super addictive. Although I have to say I haven't trained for like two years, but I will definitely go back. So that's that's been interesting. How long it's been, has it been a tough time for a sport that puts you that close? You know, like it was uh, it was it wasn't legal here in, in Guatemala until. Uh, about three or four months ago and so oh, it's it really? is now you are able to come and practice again due to covid and so it's uh, you're allowed to practice again yeah so you 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 far outrank me um i discovered this super late in life also highly accidental it uh, was my my at the time three-year-old daughter uh, who discovered it and then the the professor at the at the gym convinced me that i should i should take uh take up the sport and I did, and I, I fell in love. It's one of those things where I wish I had known about this when I was 15, 16, or even younger. Um, just such an incredible full body exercise, full mind exercise. Like it, it, when, it, when it's going right, it feels spiritual. Uh, when it's going wrong, it feels spiritual. <laughs> you get closer to the end either way. Uh, it's, uh, yeah, yeah. I, I, I find for me, particularly as, as an entrepreneur with a busy life and a very active family, um, it's one of those few places where I can truly push everything else out of my mind. Because when somebody else has their arm around your neck, you have very little reason to think about anything other than yeah. that. <laughs> and, you know, it's incredible. But um, and I don't know if, you're, uh, if, if you meditate or have a meditation practice. But I found that jujitsu improved my meditation practice because mm. it reminded me what true moments of, of clarity look like uh, and, and sort of a, a, singular, a singular focal point in life. Uh, and so I found that being able to kind of recreate some of those very, very slow moments in, in jujitsu, which are actually happening very fast, uh, has, has had an impact on my, my meditation experience as well. Interesting. Yeah, I... I can definitely, you know, resonate with that. Although I have to admit, I don't meditate as consistently as I should. So Nobody if you do have any tips for me, please, <laughs> like, uh, I'm, I'm happy to hear it. It's the same tip I'll make for anything else that you haven't accomplished that you want to in life. And that's prioritize it and don't allow it to get pushed aside. All right. Mm. This was, this was a big part of the decision that we, when deciding to come down here was to enable exactly these kind of things, to be able to reprioritize and not allow something else to step in. Silly as it sounds, like part of the, the appeal of being in Guatemala is that um, we can have a household staff. And so what that's allowed is that I no longer have the honeydew list and the chores and the things that I used to have to do that ate up some hours of my week, which doesn't seem that significant until you get them back. Mm -hmm. When you have 
three, four extra hours a week that you can choose to spend however you want. And you choose to spend those on things that you really want to do to improve yourself, to improve your family, to do whatever, it has a major impact. And so what we said in coming down here was we're going to make some sacrifices to be here, but we're not going to sacrifice are these ideals that we've set in place around what we're going to accomplish for our family and for ourselves and for the business and not to let things get in the way of that. So if you want a better meditation practice, easy, it's easy. Any, everything's prioritize. easy. Just prioritize it, right? Make that the thing that you're unwilling to move on uh, and and just stick to it, right? If you, if you set a list of priorities. I just had this conversation with a friend today, uh, somebody you know I've only had loose contact with for 25 years. We, we went to high school together. And she's been going through a, a pretty tumultuous period in life and is having a hard time figuring out how to reprioritize things. And, and her main issue was that she said, I'm constantly helping other people. And I said, look, you just have to prioritize you, but you have to have a list of things that you want to accomplish such that when you decide to prioritize somebody else, you're clear on what you're giving up. And that was what she was missing. She hadn't prioritized anything in her own life. She didn't have a list of things that she really wanted. And so therefore, there was never an obvious trait. She was giving up time, but time for what, right? She didn't have an, an obvious plan for it. She sort of did, but she hadn't really like put it down on paper or said it out loud. And so anytime she was making a trade, it felt viable. It felt equitable until she said, well, look, here's what I've given up as a result of doing for other people. So I'm going to prioritize myself, but I'm going to prioritize myself against a set of specific activities so that next time somebody says, hey, can you do this for me? It's easy math. Okay, if I do that for you, it means I'm not doing this for myself. And that makes it far, far simpler to maintain that list of priorities. Very true. And, you know, Malcolm X said as well, too, he's like, you either stand for something or you fall for anything, right? <laughs> that was, that's kind of the point here. Yeah. yeah. Ryan, it's been a pleasure speaking with you. Yeah, if, man. If, if there's anything else, by the way, that you wanted to touch on, please. Uh, but if not, it's really been a pleasure speaking with you. Oh, I can ramble all day, all night about soccer, jujitsu and entrepreneurship. I mean, like this is literally a conversation made in heaven for me. So, yeah, I'm happy to continue talking. We should, we, uh, we should, we should definitely have more of these conversations, maybe less about, you know, work and more about jujitsu. And uh, because yes. you, you have a very interesting way of articulating how you see jujitsu, which is, which is nice, especially the spirituality part that you said that was that was funny. That was interesting. So yeah, man, it's, it's the closest thing I've had to a spiritual practice in my entire <laughs> adult life. So yeah, I, uh, it's, it's like anything. I mean, I think that for, for me, it was about the, the, the reintroduction of a new type of discipline hmm. uh, and one that had obvious benefits and consequences, very obvious benefits and consequences, for right? Sure, like somebody sure. else tapping versus me feeling tendons pop in my, in my elbow. Uh, so, you know, it was, it was a really cool thing. Yeah. I, I'd, I'd love to continue talking about this stuff. I mean, like I said, sure. uh, in all honesty, these are, these are the things that I love to, to gab about. So, yeah. And if you ever just want to come down to, uh, to Guatemala, play a little, play a little football and, uh, beat up a very, a very eager, uh, you know, one stripe white belt. Uh, I'm, I'm all, I'm all for Dude, it. I would love to come down to Guatemala. It's actually on my bucket list to, you know, have an entire trip of South and Central America. So yes, I would definitely love that. Um, thank you so much for your time. I know you're yeah, super busy, you know, but yeah, really enjoyed the conversation. I'm sure, you know, the audience is going to love it as well. So 
Thank you, man. I appreciate it. Same. Anytime I can help, man, let me know. I'm here. We are now founder friends. Yes, sir. Thank you very Just much. Just fly the bat signal. I'm there, buddy.